everybody. This is another episode of Mentor Minutes. I'm Jay. And I'm Jared. And today we're continuing our series interviewing publishers and designers. And we have two games today uh, for our review. The first is Tutankhamun, a Reiner Knizia classic uh, that's just been reprinted in a gorgeous new uh, art style. Very colorful. And another game that's been out for just a year called Jurassic Parts. Uh, and we also are joined today with the publisher. Uh, both of these games are from 25th Century Games. And Chad Elkins, welcome to the podcast slash YouTube video. <laughs> hey there, thanks for having me. This is um, this will be fun. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And um, so we're actually going to do this is a video podcast, but it's also streamed uh, to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that good stuff. Anywhere everywhere, you get, everywhere you can find you find podcasts, podcasts everywhere. So if you're so for our listeners that are listening on the the podcast version, if you want to see our beautiful faces, head over to the YouTube channel Meeple Mentor. Yes, and Jay's giving me the no. <laughs> so. Don't do it. Don't risk it, folks. It's not worth it. Uh, it's not worth it. We're we're excited to have Chad on the channel and uh, discuss these upcoming games as we we do yeah. sometimes. Yeah, um, we do. We do sometimes. That's right. Chad, what is uh, what is your role at Twenty Fifth Century Games, and and just tell us a little bit about you and Twenty Fifth Century, if you would. Sure. Yeah. So, um, owner, whatever, founder, you know, whatever. Um, you know, pretty much like uh, Mission Control uh, here at Twenty Fifth Century. Uh, we've been basically publishing games for probably, I think it was, what year is it now? 2021? Uh, 2021, that's right. It is 2021, yes. (laughs) I think about five years now. It feels weird saying it's been that long. I think it has been about that. Um, you know, obviously like, like a lot of indie startup publishers, it was, you know, like the Mm -hmm. volume and cadence of games was a little slow. And then we've, you know, as kind of gotten the machine moving and, and really starting to see some growth, you know, that, that. The volume of titles are starting to kind of escalate. So, but yeah, it's about five years in, in total. Five years. That, that's very impressive. Um, what, yeah, yeah. like, how many games have you uh, released under 25th century in only five years? Roughly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it doesn't have to be exact. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Now I'm like thinking about that myself. You should have given this question first. I could have like, sure. we, should oh, have sorry. we should have prepped you. <laughs> Just right here. Yeah, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Um, that's a good question. We're probably I'm probably up to about um, probably ten or so published titles at this point. I think um, it, it, it's kind of hard to th- keep it straight because you've got some that are like in, in process, process sure, sure. coming. You know, you've got yeah. various stages of. Um, you don't want to give anything all- away for the future just yet. Oh, yeah. unless you want to. <laughs> oh, and then it's an exclusive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, about ten or so. I think is the number where we're at now. Yeah, which is certainly nothing to. Nothing to laugh at. It's it's a that does uh, really that's quite impressive. Yeah. That's at least two a year. Um, yep. what, what what's it been like trying to uh, you know contact? Uh, are, are you working with designers like Reiner Knizia, or, or do you more contact like the the companies that have the license? So a bit of a mix, right? Um, different approaches to take. So most of the games that we've done have been like homegrown, right? Like you've never been published. You know, designer has a design. You have prototype stuff. You vet it put in development for a period of time, you know, all the graphic design, art, illustration, et cetera. So that's, that's how most of it works. Now we are, we have done some other, other, you know, various approaches. One of them is localization. So space explorers, which is a title that, you know, it's probably one of the, really one of the first titles I think that really kind of started the momentum and like really getting people where they started to find like, who is this, you know, this publisher, right? Like they're really kind of the one that started, I think a lot of our growth. 
Um, that game was actually originally published in Russia. So it was a Russian title that we wow. localized in English you know, here <clears> in the U.S. That's something you know, we still do, we still look, have on the roadmap. We still do. Um, there's a game we have coming up um, in Q1 uh, called Prehistories uh, that was a French publisher. Uh, hmm. We're you know, making an English version for the U.S. for that. So that is a, that is an option. And I'm always you know talking to publishers about about that and trying to see what games you know feel right and we want to want to take on. Hmm. Uh, then there's Toon Commons, a little different because it was a game. It wasn't really a localized game. This was a game that existed at one point, and and we're kind of kind of come back and made a uh, kind of a new edition version of it. But most of the time, it's like you would traditionally think of from a, a publication standpoint, from a you know, brand new design development, et cetera. One thing I'm always really fascinated with is how did you get into this to begin with? Um, you know, uh, what, what's sort of your origin story and what made you think, hey, I can be a you know, board game publisher? Yeah, so you know, I've really, I, most of my career has been in uh, like product management you know, of some kind. And, and whether it's you know tech or you know, spent some time like the, you know, building up food, you know, kind of grocery products from like concept to, to store shelves. So a lot of the really a lot of the skills what you need to be a publisher and to kind of kind of play mission control in that type of a role, you know, covers everything from ideation and like roadmap planning and like prioritization, you know, of like what do you work on and what types of things do you work on, all the way through production, sales and marketing, mm. logistics. You know, like you really have to. Mm really have that full business owner perspective suite of like things mm. that you're interested in. Obviously the bigger you get, you can hire people to do specialized things for just marketing and for just logistics and things like that. But which is why a lot of people that are designers who are thinking about self-publishing, I mean, it's a, that is a step into a business mm. and, and it's really a lot more complicated and a lot serious than if that's even a word what people would probably think it is like, oh, I'm just going to self-publish and kickstart my game and whatever. And all of a sudden quickly find themselves in a like well, 200 do do orders, like international <laughs> like logistics freight. How do I deal with like yeah. international taxes? How do I deal with, like, it's like a lot of things and that's only getting more and more complicated, you know, as the, mm. the years kind of yeah. progress and the economy on the world changes. But so at this point, how many employees do you have? None. That's awesome. Mm. So, so are you also doing game development as well? Yeah. So, no full-time employees. Now, there are we obviously contract workout for illustrators. I have a regular regular couple of different graphic designers, you know, that are constantly doing work, you know, right. on the contract basis. But uh, and obviously, the designers themselves. But yeah, and there's no other full-time employee. Which it's you know that's really like any small business, right? Like you kind of you carry it as far as you can. You and know, leveraging get outworked. You kind of have to. <clears throat> Right. And then at some point, like like when do you make a transition to hiring someone full time to take on certain aspects that you think will help grow you faster, you know, than you would have trying to keep doing your own. And COVID was weird in a lot of ways, but I think because um, there was probably a plan for this year to be that that year when possibly to look at bringing someone else on you know, and take on some roles, and that kind of just you know all things kind of yeah, went yeah. COVID. But so yeah, I'm maybe curious. I'm curious um, how you pick the games that you want to publish, you know, because like you said, Tut and Common is a, a reprint of an older game, but yet Jurassic Parts, uh, which came out last year, is a, a new one uh, from the ground up. Uh, how do you select that or how do you find um, your your designers to work with? Like uh, Almost all of them have their own origin story. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no, 
there's not like secret sauce to it, right? I mean, I think just about daily, you know, I'll get a design submission or, or more than one. You know, it, there's they just come through the website, you know, to us contact and say, I've got a design. They put their like kind of pitch thing and, you know, then they run through those. And, and that has produced, you know, some some interest you know, for some, from some sort of projects. But a lot of it is just, it's really interesting. So Jurassic Parks came about specifically, I was um, speaking on a panel uh, at Southern Fried Game Expo. And one of the folks on the panel was Kevin Lansing. So Kevin Lansing, very you know, well known for the Flashpoint Fire Rescue series. You know, right. games are phenomenal. Awesome co-ops you know, and mm-hmm. lots of good expansions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like that whole run is just fantastic. So Kevin was on this panel uh, talking about from a designer perspective, and I was on it, you know, from a like a publisher perspective. Mm-hmm. And kind of we got we got through the panel and just started talking. Um, and he's like, yeah, I got a game that might that kind of fits kind of your, where, you know where you're kind of the space you know uh, you're playing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was that was how that happened. So that's like I said, everyone kind of has its own kind of meandering way and a lot of networking. You know, well, not only did you get a great designer, but the illustrator, Andrew Bosley, is just fantastic. You know, quite a snag there. Yeah, Everdell, Tapestry. I mean, you can name a bunch of others, but um, actually, you have, you have the box right here. It's probably yeah. not going to, well, you're going to do the image. You're going to do the pop up. It's probably, yeah, I can pop it up. But um, <laughs> our podcast there, it is, there it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely, it's a great, I mean, it's a great cover. And yeah. it's actually a small box, which yeah. I know I appreciate more and more. I mean, you can see my collection behind me. Um, a size that actually fits the game. And I think this one does that really well. So, um, you it's, know, it's a very tight fit though. Yeah. It, it, if, yeah. If you, you had an you, expansion, you really need another box. That's true too. That's true too. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you will need one. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Bosley is absolutely fantastic. And Andy's awesome. Like just wonderful illustrator. Andy and I have been, have become friends and we're, have been just kind of like talking about lots of different various things for a couple of years. And then mm-hmm. always kept talking about, we need to work on a project there, do the project together. And this one came up and, and he definitely seemed like the right fit for it and, and really yeah. brought everything we wanted to bring forward. And he was, he was, he wanted to make sure he incorporated, I wanted to make sure I incorporated all that stuff kind of came through, but from a box size perspective, yeah, that one, it's very compact, right? I mean, when you buy it off the shelf and you pick it up, it's, it's like a brick. It's, just, it's like solid cardboard yeah. except for a layer of the like, thing. But. It's like, it's like a miniature Gloomhaven in that this is packed <laughs> to the brim. With cardboard. That's funny. Yeah. I like that analogy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, like, it's good. It's really good quality. Uh, those those uh, hex tiles are really good quality, yeah. nice and thick. And, Some of the thickest cardboard that I've seen. Yeah. They're, in they're games. very, very good quality in the box. Um, and we both had, we both had a chance to play this together and, um, you know, really enjoyed the design. Um, now, this is one that's available. You can buy this even off, you know, off Amazon or everywhere, right? So this is already out there and it's been out there for about a year. That's one that came out um, released to the public, um, like retail stores, like hobby stores and everything, in um, Q4. So it was like right before the holidays, like November. Right? Okay. Kickstarter backers got theirs, I think maybe like August, September. So getting close to a year, like total, you know, from like first delivery. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, like, then it sold out within like a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, mm-hmm. uh, from like what we had. Um, obviously, the trickle through the distributors and the retail stores, you know, some lingered out there past the holidays, but for the most part, we were, I was done. That's so a good right sign that you've got a hit. Well, you know, I, I noticed I, 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 you correct me here, but it was either, it was either a BGG online preview or it was Gen Con online preview that I saw the game the first time. And just that image kind of stuck with me. 
Um, and I remembered seeing it again when it was reviewed, you know, by, um, you know, different YouTube channels and things like that. So it, it would it had always been on my radar. And so it was awesome to, to get a chance to actually play it. Um, and um, how would you, I, I know when we, we played it, Jared, yeah. um, it's got a, I mean, for actually Chad, I'll, I'll let you do it. <laughs> so for <laughs> you're asking me, yeah, let me ask the expert here. Um, so um, if you just take, take a second to describe sort of uh, the way the game plays and kind of who the intended audience is. And then Jared and I can give you some of our thoughts on our playthrough as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think from an intended audience standpoint, I think it definitely hits. It's only a family weight game. You know, it definitely is probably gateway style. It, the rules are, are not very complicated, um, you know, once you kind of read them and dig into them. So, you know, right now our reprint, we came back out. Uh, it's in Barnes & Noble stores now across the country. Mm, that's um, right. You know, <clears throat> St. Mm. Second Trials, you know, so kind of like your little bit bigger kind of bookstore, you know, that carries games at retailers. And obviously our you know, friendly you know, local game stores. Um, so it's a lot more widespread available now, which is also good because mm. like it was gone and whatever. But those type of stores, I think the shoppers that are in there buying games, that, that is probably the right intended audience. Um, and that hopefully it'll do really well. You know, so that all that's just happened in the last like month or so. But from a game mechanic standpoint, so if, you know, or mechanism, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, if you're, if you play a lot of games, you probably, th these terms would probably be familiar to you. So it, it is, it's an interesting take on area control. Um, so it's it's got a mix of area control tapped with set collection. Mm -hmm. So you're, uh, what you have in front of you is a, a large slab of you know, rock, you know, which has a mix of fossil, you know, fossil tiles you can see, some fossil tiles you can't because they're hidden. Uh, and that's probably like the revealing aspect and kind of the, the chance kind of unknown type stuff. What you're doing is, is you're basically laying out chisel lines in the slab of rock you know, you're going around and around and laying them out, really kind of like trying to fence off an area, so to speak. But you're what you're trying to do is break a section of that large slab off. And then whoever contributes to the break, so only people who are actually contributed to that fault line will get to get the rewards, right? And split up, you know, the fossils that are there. And it's by rank order of who had the most influence, the most, really the kind of most chisel lines, you know, at that point. So at that point, it's pure set collection. Now, obviously, there's some manipulation. There's, a, there's an economy around the amber. <laughs> Um, and you're just trying to collect dinosaurs and score points. Yeah, I, I love the uh, the first player marker, which is the mosquito in the amber. It looks great. Yeah. Uh, I love that you went with that choice. Um, I, I it's it's interesting because this game, in some ways, reminded me a little bit. Oh, hey, that's my fish. Mm. Be because uh, it's it, very, very very different mechanically, but the the way that you can break off sections and kind of um, you know make kind of cut off areas from your opponents. Uh, I thought that was a really neat mechanic. Um, I like that you made the choice to have some of the, the tiles upside down because there's always a risk in um, what you're going to get and whether that piece helps you. And um, I also like too how that you actually can build the full sort of these dinosaur skeletons um, you know, from the set collection, and then you get bonuses for that as well. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we had a real, really good time with this game. Yeah, and I've tried it at uh, two players mm -hmm. and four players, and it's it gets very crazy when you get more players in there because you can only really place so many chisels per turn. Right. Based, you know, you regularly get two, but you can only save one. Mm. And it's like, do you build up a turn and then try to take something that someone else had been building on? Or are you gonna start your own path? And all these decisions are complicated the more players that are involved, yeah. uh, which I found <clears throat> really interesting. But even without that, it played really good as a two player yeah. game. Yeah, re really good heads up. Um, and 
there was one notable. So I was going real heavy on plant the plant collecting the, the fossilized plants uh, to right. get those bonus <laughs> points. And Jared was focusing mostly on uh, you know building dinosaurs. also dinosaurs. I think I got both bron- uh, brachiosaurus. You did. I think you did. And um, and our <laughs> score was within what one point of each other at the yeah. end of the game. And you won. Yeah. Um, so it's very it was, tight. It was also great that you know there's multiple ways um, that you can win this game. You know there's no real strong path. Um, and then that strategic decision of do you contribute, like you said, to that fault line, uh, or just let your opponent have it and you know going for what you're wanting to do? That 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 definitely got me a couple times. <laughs> so there was uh, one moment where he was going for this big fault line, and he didn't notice that if I had just didn't put see it. one chisel like on this one little path, it breaks the whole slab yeah. into two, the whole thing. <laughs> That's right. right. That's right. So it didn't even matter that he had spent turn after turn nope. going for this he thing. Because <laughs> I, well, like, yeah, I, I just cut it in half. I'm like, looks like, uh, looks like they're all it half mine. Like you, have your choice. You, you missed yes. out there. Yeah. It's so like two, two players are a very different experience, you know, than, yeah. um, than three to four, you know, and it's a lot more kind of push pull because like you, you don't have to contribute a lot to right. get, half right as long as you've participated mm-hmm. you'll end up with with half of them but it is interesting because you're you're trying to like min max like how much do i have to work mm-hmm. to get that get right. those files and you're still capped at six right like the most you can pull on a turn is six so getting access to 20 well it doesn't really do you a whole lot of good if max you can do a six you just right. have to kind of think about that in the confines what's the max but what's interesting the, the more people play it you know you start thinking about different ways to play it you'll start counting out oh well, if i can if i come in like cut this off at the pass. I'm going to, based on those chisel counts, they've been working on this thing. I'm going to basically rob them of like one or two mm-hmm. tiles or, you know, I can get a couple more than I would have otherwise, you know, so that right. there, it's but the more you play it, you'll start seeing these things. And I think, yeah, you know, people will start leveraging. First thing you play it, you probably won't leverage the yeah, you don't see a lot of that right. until a couple plays or, or late game. And you're like, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and one thing like you're yeah, saying, you'll start like, like, why didn't I just pick this tile up? I could have used the field leader to turn it in amber lilies and get the tile I wanted, but I kept playing around trying to chisel it away. Right. And people, the more they play it, will use those abilities a lot more, and it does absolutely change the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've really found that this was a very, like, not heavy game, but, like, a heavy strategy <laughs> game. And, like, the more we were playing it, I was like, this is actually, there's a lot to yeah, think yeah, about you, to really mm-hmm. like you said min max your turns and like when to be offensive when mm-hmm. to be defensive you know when to take right. that weight turn where you mm-hmm. save one you know that kind of stuff but but yeah i love i love um i mean the fact that you said you mentioned that it was uh you know in barnes and noble and others to me this is a great example of a game that we want to see out in the hot in, in the public because yeah. it is such a welcoming game um the theme is just bang on Perfect. right um, it does have simple enough rules that, you know, family could eat, who, who could, who's maybe never played anything other than ma- mainstream games could get in right into this. And then I, mm-hmm. I love the fact that, you know, the more time you spend with it, the deeper you'll go. Mm-hmm. And I think that can really be a, a re- revelation to a family who's looking for a game and that opens another world, you know, to this hobby market. So, um, and, uh, so uh, well, yeah. well done on that. Title. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really about that. I, I did if show you play the... ticket to ride and play this game. Like it's like that's, that's true. Right. That's absolutely right. If, if you grasp ticket to ride, this is no problem at all. Yeah. You know, if, you, if that's if that's where you're mo- if you've progressed in your like gaming kind of like journey, mm-hmm. you've got to that point. This is this is one that's right. That's I right completely agree. Now yeah. I, I noticed it said uh, ages 13 and up, but I did try this with my seven year old, and 
Um, she's not much into games right now, but she at least understood like mm. how to play and mm. the concept. Now, as far as strategy, no way, like no <laughs> understanding of how to like where to where should she go next. But she liked the idea of just like making her own little path and sectioning mm. that out and collecting stuff and then trying to match them together and, and physically making those uh, dinosaur bone sets. Yeah. Um, and so I tried to be very non-aggressive since she was having fun doing her thing. And so I made my right. thing and, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a fun. So, you know, younger yes. ages, that's sort of the experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, <laughs> obviously, you, as the publisher, you know this, but like that 13 label has to be there because it has those small parts, right? Choking hazards and things like that. I guess that when you're working with those mass market or those um, mass market stores like Barnes & Noble, do you have to do you have to think even more carefully about how you're sort of labeling those games and you know especially with the, based on the components that you include in the box and those yeah there's definitely different, different schools of thought right like you what historically a lot of people have done a lot of people still do it and, and this one is like at around 13 ish because of really it's more it's not necessarily like could a, a, a 10 year old be told how to play and play and be fine and absolutely do it it's like but could you hand that box to an eight year old and they just go off that's a little bit different you know versus like guiding them like you know, so your daughter mm-hmm. like, you know, like this is right. how you play Pick, add three chisels over here and then put them out like if kids are gamers right and they're playing a lot of games so i imagine you know yours probably does mm-hmm. you know, they grasp those these types of things way better than than kids that aren't really gamers but yeah. Really, there's like a movement for a long time where people would just put 14 or 13, whatever plus on a box because they didn't want to pay for testing. Any game below a certain age, depending on the, the country, whether it's Europe or mm. US, for example, or Canada, if it's below a certain range, you've got to, you get, as a publisher, you have to go pay for different levels of safety testing. And it ranges about the type of components you have. And so that's, that can get expensive if you have a lot of different stuff in it. So a lot of publishers for a long time would just say, no matter what the game was, as long as it didn't look like, you know, like a Hava type of game, like, yeah, just put 14 on it, you're fine. Right? Don't right, worry about yeah. testing. So, like, mm-hmm. Tutankhamun, like, we have 10, 10 on that box. You know, so that, that game got tested, you know, just like any, anything that age range would. But that's a wow. game I think you could handle. Eight now. Or eight. You know, and oh, yeah. good play. It's, the rules are relatively simple. I don't think Jurassic Park, you, you could pick up that box as an eight-year-old or 10-year-old. Yeah, right. I hadn't thought about that, yeah, just being smart. able to like mm. let a kid open it and just teach mm. it to themselves or be able to play it without an yeah. adult. Yeah, me right. neither. Me neither. Well, yeah, and there's I, like there's schools of thought, right? Like people will put ages. A lot of people have said, would well, do it around to skirt the testing rules. Like, I don't believe in that. It's like, I, I, wanna, I want someone looking at that game on a shelf and looking at that age because it's pro- it's an appropriate recommendation, not just you know trying to either put it younger so people will, more people will buy it because they think it's open for more families or make it too old sounding because you want to start testing. You really should be aging not appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. But people know, like you know, if your kid can grasp something, and so right. if it's at twelve, you're like, yeah, my eight year old can do that. Right. Well, you know, speaking of too common. Um, so you've been going to Kickstarter with your games, and I know you had a deluxe version of this kind of available on Kickstarter uh, that had some fantastic components. But I think just the base game itself has some really good components as well. I'll and, say when we opened it up, he was. Like, I, I thought it was a Kickstarter. He was shocked. I thought it was the Kickstarter. He's <laughs> like, um, "Are you kidding me? What, this is this is a thing in the box, and yeah. it doesn't. It just it just it's, looks that it's, good. It's just there to look great. I love it. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that, that, we're talking about the the uh, not the Sphinx, the sarcophagus, right? The right. The box. Um, I'm gonna open it up. Yeah. No. So so full disclosure, Reiner Kanitsi is one of my favorite designers. Um, he gets mentioned a lot I on do. our podcast. I absolutely do. Um, 
and I had never played this game before, um, the old the older version. Uh, and one of my favorite mechanisms is the uh, ability to move as far as you want on a track, but you can't go back. Um, yeah. I, I love that mechanism. So um, when when I saw that that, that was this kind of <laughs> game, I'm like, Jay, you're gonna flip out. You're gonna love this yeah, thing. Yeah, I was like, so it's it, two notches up. already. It's, Sign me up. It's right. it's you and it's push your yeah, and, and it's forward. and again, it's another one of the, the you know family weight games. Um, I'd say this even more so than Jurassic Parts uh, because it's uh, very quick setup, su- super simple rule sets, but some really great compelling uh, gameplay. Um, and uh, before I get to to into it, to Chad, I'll I'll let you again discuss uh, Tutankhamun. Um, actually, a little bit interested in in how you got a title from Reiner Knizia, and then um, what made you decide to do this kind of deluxe printing and and resurrect this title. I'd reached out, and, and we had been talking about about doing a game. You know, whether it's a new game or you know, resurrecting an older one. I mean, I mean, the Good Doctor's published what like six hundred. Six hundred, uh, yeah. Point, <laughs> right. So. You know, and a lot of those titles go back 20 years, you know, and, and if you think about the resurgence of the hobby now, like it's really kind of exploded over the last 10 years, probably you could say really the last five years is probably a big, a lot more concentration of it, but let's just say 10 years. So there's a lot of people out there that are now actively searching out good board games and buying board games mm-hmm. that were not around when a whole wave of games existed if they haven't been reprinted. I still find it fascinating, like how often I come across uh, gamers that haven't played Carcassonne or Settlers of Catan yeah. or, you know, all, all these like classics that like we played all the time when they came out, but we were gaming back then. But if you hadn't been in the scene, uh, you know, no one's playing those very much anymore. But like most everybody has if you live through it yeah. as a gamer. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of the, I mean, just a lot of the kind of the, like Ra, for example, I mean, speaking of Kinesia or like Tigris and Euphrates or Samurai, there's a lot, there's a lot of old Kinesia games that have seen more recent publishings, but not in the last five years, right? So, like, there's a whole, like I say, there's a whole group of games out there that exist that haven't been kind of re brought back. I mean, like Elk Creek, bringing back Atlantis, is another good example. Yeah, that's true. You know, mm-hmm. um, which is an older game that people had probably had no idea ever existed, but they just know this version. So, so that, you'd say, Tutankhamun is one of your favorite Knizia games then? So it was a game I had um, actually had owned it for probably hmm. at least 10 years. Like the, so it, it's it's gone actually, and I ha, I now also own the very, very original. So it's actually gone through two pressings. So the hmm. the first was in like 90, I want to say 93, but um, I think that's oh, right. I think, oh yeah, I'm right, yeah. blanking out. I, th- I think it's 93. So if you can, you can go on BGG and correct me. And I'm sure it me. is. Yeah, because we, we also discussed that too when we were playing it. So you're right. So that was the old, oh, and it's like buried behind some boxes. I can actually pull it out. It wasn't very pretty. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, but what matters is the gameplay. Everybody knows that. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what everybody so, looks now. That's what, so that's why people back on Oh, there it is. Look at that. This <laughs> is wow. how big it was. Um, and it wasn't very thick. You know, that's it's like, so. Oh, yeah. Wow. But this is the original. So this one came out in 93. Uh, yep, there we go, 93. So it was up for the spiel that year. I didn't um, so the friend Germany, um, hmm. and I gotta say, if if you're a podcast listener, you're really missing out oh, on being right. able to see the cover. <laughs> that's right for this 1993 edition. That's right. This yeah, is the incentive uh, for you to watch the YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, pull that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, and the only reason it actually even is that big because the game is just tiles, right? right. So 
you know, if you're looking, the only reason it's that big is because the scoreboard was literally this big and was not bifolded for some reason. Oh, it's, wow. like, it's literally the size of the, it's like a big, bigger than a ticket to ride. Uh, it's box like poster as size. As far as what, uh, yeah, because the rest of the game, you know, it's just, there's actually yeah. a secondary scoreboard here, you know, mm. which you can instead of that one, but then you've got the tiles and, and some of the markers. So <laughs> maybe that's that was the that size box really, that people expected at that time, you know? It was also kind of a standard size box for certain games. Like the, I've got another game I've got like Rabbit and Hare, I think is like really, I think it's also from me going. Exactly. That was the exposure, yeah. So, yeah. Which I guess was later redone is around the world in 80 days. But, hmm. and then you, so that was nice. So that was only printed in Germany. Like it didn't exist in English. And so then you, you kind of fast forward um, 12 years. I think it's 2005 is when, yeah, it, then it got an English reprint, you know, pressing you know, originally. And that one looks like, the price of the hell these handy beforehand so that now looks like this oh, oh interesting small box so, yeah yeah so this is the you know it's not a, not really all that much to look at right um, you know but this was made by out of the box publishing which okay. uh, probably most famous for apples to apples and, and they're right. they no longer exist i don't know if they got bought out or just went out of business or whatever. but it's all 2005 that lasted for you know available in stores for a little while and then just kind of went away um, and this is the version that I own. This is actually the same version I've owned for about over 10 years now. Mainly because I had gotten into the hobby by 10, over 10 years ago, discovered Canizia Games, you know, and this kind of, you know, Lost Cities and other stuff. I just kind of started going, like, looking for fun Canizia titles and just trying them out. Because I just, like, I'm, I'm not a huge heavy gamer, you know, so a lot of his stuff just kind of hits the right wheelhouse for me. Right. So I just started buying up Canizia Games. And so this was one I bought. And so when we were talking about, you know, doing a game, uh, like, well, there's some stuff that's motor stuff we've been thinking about that probably could be resurfaced again, that would be a, a possibility. And this was one of the names on the list. Mm. And I was like, oh, I was like, I literally can reach that game on my shelf, right? Like, it's yeah. like that, this is a game I've owned for a long time. And so it was like, yeah, let's look, let's do that. And so we started trying to get you know, on the path of, of bringing it back and, I love that you have both editions of the original copy of this yeah, game. Yeah, that's that's a true believer right there. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a guy who loves this game and is yeah. like, I need this back in a in a nice, beautiful package, mm. and people are gonna love it. And I and from it all looks these, great. I mean, it's it's a great cover. Um, it's very colorful, um, and it looks great on the table too. Yeah. Um, especially with, you know, some some of the the non playing components like the sarcophagus we mentioned. Um, the fact that you're using the the box itself as the scoreboard, yeah. um, it it just has a lot of really interesting um, table presence. Um, so this is definitely one I would stop and look at if I was checking it out. And, and again, with the, the tiles. So, well, Chad, why don't you describe the um, the game for us a little bit? The gameplay yeah, for those who the gameplay, yeah, yeah, seen this or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So the the art, uh, just to make, give credit where credit's due, obviously, because I didn't do it. I have literally zero skill there. <laughs> um, so the art is uh, Jackie Davis, yep. who's an absolutely amazing artist. Uh, she's got a long list of, of game uh, games that she's worked on. And so she handled uh, the illustrations and then Matt Paquette, uh, who I worked with Matt on a number of games now, um, did all the graphic design work for it. So mm. wonderful duo to, to work with. And Actually, working with Jackie on another game coming up for, for next year. And I'm really excited about. Actually, I can probably I can say it because it's actually in the BGB database now. So there's another game I'm working on with Jackie uh, doing the illustration for called. Um, I think we're settling on uh, Iron Horse, is the name of it. So it's a Wild West train heist game oh, um, cool. designed by Henry Audubon, who uh, did Kingswood for us, and then uh, Parks and Space Park. So Jackie, I, yeah, I, I actually kickstarted Space Park. 
Oh uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah I, I love Keymaster. I'm in Atlanta. They're up in Athens, Georgia, which is only about. I can probably be at their place in probably an hour, you know, from here. Yeah, another 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 great artwork in that game too. So. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. fantastic. They, they do a fantastic job in all their mm. art and their just like their UI and their graphics and the stuff. Just everything is really top notch. And their components, you know, they yeah, they, good, they, yeah. they focus a lot on that. You know, I'm a big believer in components. Like you mentioned, the tiles for Jurassic Parks earlier. You know, and the thickness of them. Like, I don't want our games to feel cheap. That's like the one thing I never want someone to say is they like, ah, oh, it's like kind of chancing and cheap. Um, because that's, no, I wouldn't say that at all. No, no, these are, no, 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 no. It's, we pack a lot of value in those boxes <laughs> and touch too, right? You know, so some people are like, oh, well, Tim Cummins overproduced for what it is. Well, you know, yeah, that's not, you know, that's fine. That's a good criticism for me. Sort of. <laughs> as, as long as it's not overproduced. For the sake of being overproduced to elevate MSRP, that's one where that game was probably going to be the same price point twenty nine ninety nine if I had a sarcophagus in the box or not. Mm. Well, and it's but, cardboard, right? So it's not like you're adding miniatures or plastic or yeah, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. If I had took taken that game and rolled out a retail version at forty bucks, and because it had the sarcophagus and because it had the underworld kind of extra punch out area, then, okay, yeah, you can criticize me for that. That's no problem. Because I, but that's one that absolutely would have been the same price point either way. But yeah. that aside, so. Well, we're happy that the sarcophagus is in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled that it's there. <laughs> I like it. I think it's cool. You it's know, it, it, it's so weird because you get, this is not the first time you've been mentioned about being a gaming overproduced, but, and I'll take it I'll take it all day. But the, it's, it, there's a weird, people get weird about like what they, criticize and overproduction because there's like a fine line between thinking about the quality of a game it's like oh it's cheap 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 it's under it's cheap whatever it could have been better and then it's like no it's too much like you like there's like no like right <laughs> I, I feel like <laughs> as long as like when you open the box and bring it out if you have a smile on your face because of how all of it looks and the components mm-hmm. you're like that's a that's good yeah and I, we I, had I, that experience yeah i mean it, it's again i i often think with these games is if i was going to bring these over to say my my friend or my brother's house you know who doesn't play games much would this game instantly make them want to try it out and this these both these titles uh check that box um because they're it's not it's not like you said it's not overproduction for overproduction's sake it's just nice quality components with great graphic design great art um, and just good table presence that makes you want to get into the game. So, so speaking of how to play the game, yes, I think we had asked Chad to explain the game mechanisms. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, so this is the game you mentioned that earlier. It's a, it is a linear path progression game, which was really probably one of the earliest game examples of this this mechanism uh, that you can do. So, game itself, bunch of different types of tiles. You know, just different artifacts. The purpose of the game is like, you know, King Tide has, has passed away. He's, been, he's being buried in his tomb. All the players are priest, priestesses going out and collecting artifacts to deposit into Tut's tomb to be discovered in 19, whatever it was, 32 by Henry Carter. So you're trying to cleanse your spirit by donating like the most possessions and then be the winner by being named the next priest of Egypt member. It's an abstract game. It's just something. But it needs to look and feel thematic, which is why the whole tomb thing felt right. The, the out of the box edition had a little pyramid. So even that one was kind of overproduced for no reason. Mm-hmm. There's a pyramid that made literally no purpose in the game. <laughs> um, but they didn't get heat for it, but apparently I am for a sarcophagus. So <laughs> the uh, so you, you lay all you mix these tiles up and you lay them out a single track. And and the, the tiles are shaped in such a way where 
there, it won't just be a straight line. Like they, you can alternate and make a straight line, but you really kind of make a nice windy Nile-ish river. Yeah, it and forces you to get creative to make yeah. it look like a river. Yeah, that's that's part yeah, of. You it. can like wind it around the, the tomb. You can like, <laughs> you know, wait, you do a one straight line, come back up again. <laughs> however you want to do it. We'll say, I got I got we'll to throw Jay under the bus. My three D perception was off. That's all I'm going to say. So as we were setting up the game, I I had gotten all the tiles out and I started like aligning them, and and yeah. he did not want to help for whatever. Like he just well, didn't. I was doing something. There's he was something like was just doing. talking or something, and I'm like putting this whole thing together. I'm like almost done. And I'm like, you know, you could have been helping me <laughs> put this thing together. I was preoccupied with something. I can't like, remember what it was. It's but... not, I didn't, yeah. I, you know, like you're waiting for an invitation here. Like it was, just... it was, it was probably that. And then I started and it was like, I wasn't doing a good job. I wasn't doing a good job. Yeah. You're like was, turning it into I was, itself. I was like overlapping the rivers. I mean, it was just, so, it was a horror show. So I let Jared finish that. <laughs> That's like part one is, is uh, trying to make the river correct. Yeah. That's like the first game. Yeah. Building. And it takes a anyway. second, right? It takes 70 You got to put them out, you know, and you got to put them out one at a time. So it takes like a, you know, a second, but then once you, once you get it out, it's like a nice looking. Yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. Yep. So players start at the end of it, away from the tomb, and you line up player order. It is a clockwise player order, so the player order doesn't change based on position of, of votes. But you have a boat marker that you move forward as far as you want down that Nile. So you're just sailing down the Nile. So you can skip tunnels, the, although with, with one caveat. You can go as far forward as you want, or you can go back exactly one space, so one available space. Mm. Um, so the more things you skip, you don't have a chance at, at picking those tiles up. Uh, any any tiles that every player skips. So once the first player back moves, any trailing tiles get put you know, into the underworld area, uh, which really just need to be named something because you know, in the old game you just discarded it to the side. So we've made a little place for it just to connect it. So is this the first edition of this that had that calls it the underworld? Yeah. Ah, I like that. I, I, I do like, like that, that a lot, actually. Yeah, it's very, very super thematic. Yeah, and, and the um, so you're basically picking up sets. Like, so you, all the items in the Nile have a number on them, which tells you exactly how many of those tiles exist. So if it says eight, that's the number. Of, there's a Senate board in there, which is an old Egyptian game that was in Tut's Tomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's eight of those in the Nile. Once the last one is picked up or skipped over. And it, and it leaves the Nile and goes in the world. And you, once the last one leaves and you score the set, and then you look to see well, who has the most of the set, not the majority, like you don't have to go, get over 50%, you just have to have the most. Uh, so then that person scores the number of points on the tile, which in that case would be eight. And then the second place scores half of that. Uh, and then third place gets nothing. So third third and back, game place is six. So third place through Sixth place, you get literally nothing. Uh, and then those tiles get deposited into the tomb, which is kind of a, and it literally, in this case, you use the box bottom as the tomb with a, with a t- sarcophagus in it. So you kind of clean the game up as you go. Yeah, yeah, cleanup's a snap. Yeah, we did mention <laughs> yeah, yeah. that as we played. I'm like, we like that. we're just cleaning the game this. as I we more Yeah, just clean it up. Well, you know, so people are like, well, the setup takes a little bit. Well, but if you average in setup and breakdown, it's actually yeah. about, isn't oh. that bad? Because totally. there's no bad. breakdown. This is done. Yeah. yeah, you're just let, let me just throw the underworld in here and we're done. Yeah. <laughs> so that so the, the going back of space is, that is new. That was not in the original edition. I love uh, that actually because I've played lots of games with that mechanism. And the fact that you could you can slowly work your way back if somebody's kind of cherry picking. I, I love that. I mm-hmm. love that mechanism. Um yeah. and, and a lot of times I would employ that to go one space extra knowing that I would likely be able to get the, the tile that I had just skipped to. Yeah, I can jump there because you don't want someone else to get that one particular tile. Yeah. Back up 
the two and then keep going forward. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so those that's new. Um, the God abilities, all all those are new for this edition. So the gods didn't exist. There yeah. were mm-hmm. there were some kind of like manipulation these God tiles, but um, it was limited to uh, you could steal an artifact from someone at you know, any point in time. I think it was or. Uh, and then so that's gone. Another one where I think you could break a tie, I think, was one of the pieces. Hmm. It was so yeah. So the original game had the ability to steal a tile, and then you could, if you had a certain tile, I think you could break a tie. So if you're tied with someone, you can use that as a tiebreaker. So those got removed from the game, and then we the way the the god the new god abilities, which offer a little more flexibility and some other options you can do. Them they're not there to be overpowered, and like if you first one to get this hmm. god is like always going to win. Right. They're, they're very just light situational mm-hmm. to where and the more you play the game the more you actually will use them the people are like i played the whole game i didn't even use one it's like well i've actually played that game again you absolutely would you know, yeah we definitely did. we yeah. did start yeah. really seeing how you can tweak yeah the, the game to you know to for your favor but mm. that was the only really otherwise the game was just completely set you know because the, the river never changes once it's put out there and it's it's open knowledge you know exactly what all the cows right. are in. so Having the ability to add things in the back end or remove things down, downstream, right? You know, it's just been a, a way to kind of layer the game in. But yeah, we I, I really liked it. Yeah, um, yeah. This is this is one that uh, you know Jared's keeping his copy, so I'm gonna have to get my own now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Can we trade? We may negotiate something we'll have to here, Because I know I know you like to build yeah, up I, that Knizia collection. I do. I do. I have so many. Well, I have quite a few of Reiner's games. Uh, the, the good doctor's games. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the, the real, really cool title. I loved it. This is one that you brought back. I don't know if you're at liberty to share this or not, but are you teaming up with uh, Dr. Knizia for any future um, releases? Or can you say that? Yeah, no, we can. Um, so it's one thing I can definitely talk about. Um, because it's now already been kind of like kind of been leaked out there and, and people realize it now. So uh, we are doing a reprint of Ra, uh, which is oh. probably one of the best auction games, mm-hmm. I would say, of all time. Certainly one of the most kind of approachable and, and really kind of highly regarded auction games. And so I'm really excited about that because you know, that's one where we're that game is like one we're not going to absolutely not going to go mess with the design at all. We're literally that's just excellent. Yeah, reimagine the components and then the artwork and how you, the interface for it and, and just how to, how to physically bring it back. Not, they're probably kind of jealous. That sounds like a really fun project. <laughs> mm, mm. Yeah. Also, like, people get plus a little bit, um, gotta be careful with it too, right? A lot of people are very passionate about some yeah, of like their older. Because, <laughs> you know, kind of like yeah, and I can, they're sitting here, they're both versions I've got next to me right over here. So the Uber Play, kind of Rio Grande edition, which is like, the one that people really love, which is the, the, the older one, the original style. You know, then there was like a Z-Man Wind Rider kind of version that came mm-hmm. out, Fantasy Flight Wind Rider four or five, five years ago, maybe. Um, that sounds that, right, yeah. Which was, you know, I, I think certainly got a lot of heat, you know, because it wasn't, people just liked the original version better. But, um, yeah. you know, we'll see. Like, you, you got to treat it with care, you know, because people get uh, get really, really upset about their their what, there's a game that I had thought about when we played Tutankhamen. Uh, I mean, it's a little more complex, but it's like a very similar game, which is Agizia Shifting Sands. Oh, yeah. It has that river mechanism. Which is, yep. it's the Nile River. It's mm-hmm. Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also, the number of boats you have, like you're limited to continue to go forward. You're not allowed to go backward to take any actions prior. That's right. Um, mm. And has that similar, at least that part of it in the theme. Um, but Agizia is a much heavier yeah. game than plus than you can and you can't move and you in in here you have a lot more like you can move a lot further 
Whereas yeah. that one, you're limited to what maybe 10 spaces or 12, something like that, I think. But yeah, I, yeah, you're well, right. like they're I, very, I love that game. They're too, very different games, <laughs> but they're very, but it's the same kind mm. of theme. Um, so I just, I had to make that comparison mm. in my head, but mm. at the same time, like they're very, very different, um, very different experiences. But I would say yeah. if someone likes, Agizia, they should try Tutankhamen if they wanted a very lighter experience. Mm. And again, if you like Tutankhamen and you want a little more like medium weight game with worker placement, then look at Agizia because they're they're both solid. Yeah, and and again, right. it, you know, Tutankhamen has that really classic feel, but it has a lot of great updates, uh, like with the God Powers things like that. So you really can um, level that strategy however you want. You know, if you're playing with kids. You might take those God powers out and just, you know, play it straight up. Um, but, you know, gamers will enjoy this one too, I think, with the addition of God powers. So, um, yeah, yeah, I really, I really like both of these games. Out. Yeah, they're easy, like, to just remove them, you know, because yeah. you know, right. the thing. And, and even Jurassic Parts has those uh, cards that you can add or not add yeah. yep. uh, for those mm. special abilities, which I think is awesome. Um, I mm. think, you know, with my seven year old, not going to include it, mm. um, but with my gamer group, you know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's a big part of, you know, increasing the strategy to this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was one where, so originally those were, those were actually designed to be player powers, like on the player board, they were going to be a, a, literally assigned to a player that was, and it's funny because I still get, people will criticize it for like not having asymmetric player powers because the players are just a card with a, a unique character on it but there's nothing else that's like really different about them um, so that people will criticize that but they, but really the we took them off for a very specific reason and made them individual cards because one of the things that i really like about about what we did with that game and it was very important to us and very important to andy too was you know the character diversity uh even though you got a very limited set of characters i think there's six in the game and then the field leader they're very diverse you know just from like a mm. wide range of 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 both you know, ethnicity and, and, yeah. and body type and what i really didn't want to have happen was if a player felt really connected to a particular character from like a feel perspective like a look you know, feel perspective i didn't want them to be stuck having the same ability every time they played and so yeah, we right. we pulled them off and made them into cards because now you can play with whatever character you feel the most connected to and then you got the cards can just be mixed up and then dealt out yeah. as that asymmetric ability hmm. and that's where they sit you know but, I like that. I actually yeah, like that, makes that a lot. lot of sense. That, that, yeah, I'd like to see that actually in more games now that you mention it because Lords of Hellas does something like that. You're right. Too. Like sometimes I always like, or, or even me, sometimes I always go with the character that like is the color that I like to play. You Green. Know? Yeah, the color. <laughs> I'm yeah. yellow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's a great, great take on uh, the way that you represented that. And the, both of these games, we had a great time playing them. Um, definitely highly recommend both of these. And, and Chad, um, so if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to check out your new, newest, latest Kickstarters, uh, what are some ways that they can do that? So the best way to kind of keep up to date is just um, you know sign up for our email list. You know, you always be updated on that kind of stuff. You know, follow us on the social channels: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Follow us on Kickstarter. That we absolutely get notified when we launch a game. Uh, you know, some of the games we don't we, we do go straight to retail. So not every game we've made has gone you know through the Kickstarter process, and right. so that's been trying that out with, with, with a lot of games you know the, the cloud control and curmudgeon were two that we sent straight to retail that were not kickstarted uh, coming up soon we've got um uh, sunny day sardines which would be a little really lightweight kind of travel sized um, mint 10 ish game uh, that'd be straight to retail 
uh, and then prehistories, as I mentioned, we're bringing over. We're going to be straight to retail as well. Cool. Um, but yeah, the Kickstarter is definitely, we've got several of those kind of all in the works right now and uh, hopefully launching one by late summer would be the next next thing. Nice. All right. Well, we'd love to hear more about that when you're ready to launch. Yeah, too, we'll, so. we'll stay in touch. Yeah. And- <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, congratulations on your success at 25th Century Games and uh, keep on p- pumping out new titles like this and we'll keep playing them. Awesome. I appreciate that. Appreciate the kind words and certainly the invitation. It's, uh, it's been fun. Absolutely. Right. Well, uh, for the Mentor Minutes podcast, uh, we'll wrap this up. Um, I've been Jared. And I've been Jay. We'll see all you guys next time. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Bye.